Thanks, everyone, for joining. Um, we'll get sh started here, I guess. Um, we'll have Vinay and uh, Fazel join as well, um, but I'll go ahead and start. So, yeah, I mean, the Mavs got the win against the Pelicans tonight. It was a very close game there at the end, 111 to 106 at the final score against uh, New Orleans. Uh, but if you watch the entire game, it was not like that. The Mavericks got off to a very fast start. Um, Luca nearly outscored the entire Pelicans team uh, by himself in the first quarter. He had 21, the Pelicans had 22. Um, and, you know, it, it looked like the Mavericks were going to cruise to an easy win against the Pelicans, who, of course, um, you know, only flew into Dallas uh, this morning or, or this afternoon, I think, because they were unable to fly in uh, yesterday because of the ice storm here in Dallas. So not only were the Pelicans um, doing the rare thing of flying in just hours before the game, um, you know, they were flying from Denver with the altitude. Uh, they came into this game having lost nine straight. So obviously after tonight, they've lost 10 straight games. I believe this puts them under 500 for the season. Um, but kind of going back to the way that this game went, uh, the Mavericks raced out again to a big lead. They were up by 30 points, I believe, at one point in the game. Uh, but then a little before midway through the third quarter, uh, Luka suffered a hard fall when he tried to go up for a dunk against Jonas Valanciunas, I believe. Um, came down on his left heel or right heel, um, one of his heels, uh, and went to the locker room, and it was later announced that he was going to be out for the remainder of the game uh, with a heel contusion. So obviously going to keep an eye on that here um, post-game. We'll see what uh, Jason Kidd says, but we'll definitely keep an eye on it for the next few days. Hopefully it doesn't keep Luca out for long. Um, hopefully it's kind of like last injury where it was more of a, you know, more of a minor thing um, and he can get back soon. Um, I wonder how much uh, the Mavericks lead at the time of the injuries or at the time of the injury um, influenced their decision to rule him out for the rest of the game. But again, I think we'll find out here in the post game. But yeah, once Luca went out, the Pelicans uh, really started turning it up and the Mavericks struggled mightily uh, to score the ball. Um, you know, I don't know exactly what the, you know, what the scoring gap was once Luca. Uh, left the game, but it was, I mean, the Mavericks were up by 30 at one point. Um, they won the game by five, so I think it was uh, over 20 points. I mean, if we just look at the fourth quarter, the Pelicans outscored the Mavs 30 to 16, and that's uh, on top of the minutes that the Mavs played without Luka in the third quarter as well. Uh, the Pelicans won the third quarter 33 to 25. Um, was not a good game for Spencer Dinwiddie, who, you know, slid in to have the primary ball handling duties. He did have 21 points, but was just 4 of 19 from the floor. Uh, it was really the 11 for 12 at the free throw line that helped his scoring um, and honestly was large for the Mavericks despite the, the bad shooting night. And then Tim Hardaway Jr., unfortunately, also had a terrible game. Um, just nine points on three of 18 shooting, two for 12 from three, and he played 40 minutes in this one. Uh, just uh, very difficult to stomach uh, for the Mavericks and a starter um, in Tim Hardaway. Uh, but I think one of the few bright spots in this game was Josh Green coming off the bench in 30 minutes. He had 15 points on seven of 10 shooting, uh, one for two from the three-point line. And, of course, I think had some big shots there in the fourth quarter, especially 
that one made three pointer that he had. So, um, overall, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good the Mavericks got the win against a team that I feel like they really needed to get the win against. Um, because I mean, you know, it's a team coming into coming in on very short rest. Uh, having lost nine straight games like this would have been a disastrous loss uh, for the Mavs to be the get-right game for the Pelicans. But um, the Mavericks have won two consecutive games now. Uh, now they're about to start a five-game road trip on Saturday where they travel to Golden State to play the Warriors. Um, they got Utah after that one, the Clippers after that, and then a road back-to-back um, against Sacramento, two games against them before coming back to Dallas and playing Minnesota. So this stretch right here, and honestly to end the month of February, is going to define the Mavericks season. Um, and of course, we got the trade deadline coming up uh, a, a week from today, and honestly a less than a week from today because the trade deadline is going to be at 2 p.m. next Thursday, February 9th. So I think there's a lot to, to think about with regards to that. Um, we talked a little bit about the trade. Actually, we talked a lot about the trade deadline on our last space. Um, we might talk about it some more here um, just because I think this game was really uh, revealing or indicative of a lot of the Mavericks' problems. But again, um, I'm not sure how much we can expect from the Mavs at the trade deadline. I do think that they will make at least one trade. Um, but just kind of looking at how this game went, you know, what are their positive assets? Um, and what would it, how would that impact the Mavs if they were to trade them? Um, it's difficult because I think a lot of people would love to see Tim Hardaway Jr. or the Mavs finally move on from him. Um, but it's just like when you see a game like this where he takes twice as many shots as points that he scores, it's hard to envision any team uh, really, you know, wanting to take on that contract without draft compensation. Um, but we'll see. I mean, last year's. Kristaps Porzingis' trade really came out of left field. So um, if, if the Mavericks have something like that lined up, I, I do think it could very well you know, happen again close to the 2 p.m. Central Time buzzer next Thursday. So uh, keep an eye on that. We just got Vinay here. Um, Vinay, what's up, man? What's going on? Sorry about that. No, it's all good. Um, just kind of going down uh, and summarizing this game, uh, obviously – you know, Mavericks looked great when Luka was playing tonight. Um, it looked like they were going to win by 30 or 40 points and, you know, have an emphatic win against a, a struggling Pelicans team. But uh, once Luka got hurt, you know, kind of <laughs> we saw we saw why, um, you know, everyone is so frustrated with this roster because it really struggled to score the ball. Um, and the Pelicans made a good run for it at the end. Uh, they just were a few plays too short and, and the Mavs are able to hold on for this. Yeah, we've been talking about for the last couple of months about, I mean, what do we do with that Dinwiddie lineup where he's leading the second unit? Like, it just seems like it's so much of him and when he doesn't have it going on, the lineup doesn't really have a lot going. So do you think there's any internal fixes for what we can do with that specific lineup when Luke is off the floor and... I mean, obviously, we need a scoring punch, and I don't think it could just be Dinwiddie with how he's playing like this. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like this has been a problem all season long. Like, Dinwiddie tends to look really good um, when playing next to Luka and with the starters. But then when he's playing um, with the second unit as the primary ball handler, we see a lot of his uh, bad habits, I think, come to the forefront, which is like the turnovers, 
a lot of times like bad shots, um, you know, just the tunnel vision that he has a lot of times, not giving the ball up when he should. Um, and I don't know how much of that is his game and how much of that is the coaching staff telling him to just, you know, go out and, and score uh, when Luca's out of the game because I could definitely see them telling him to do that because, I mean, you look at the way that this team is constructed, two ball handlers really, Luca and Dinwiddie. So when one is off the floor, the other's got to cook, right? And it's not like there's too many players um, on this team that can really go and get buckets like Luca and Dinwiddie can. So I sort of understand it, but at the same time, when you're having a rough shooting night, you really got to know when to give it up. Yeah, no, for sure. What did you think of, uh, how did you think about Josh Green and how he handled kind of, you know, the circumstances like you tweeted about? Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I mean, this is really all you can ask for, for, you know, Josh Green, who's in his third season now. Um, I, I think if you asked me three years ago or two years ago, like for him to step up, you know, I could never envision him to step up in such a big moment like this. Uh, without Luca, he was honestly probably the most stable player on the floor, um, you know, which is crazy because, like, we've seen Josh Green over the years. He hasn't always been the most uh, steady hand, but tonight I felt like he had it on all his drives to the basket. Um, he was making a lot of the right cuts. I think if the Mavs had some guards that could actually find him, you know, he may have scored, had a 20-point game. Uh, there was that one one play where he was cutting the basket and Spencer was driving baseline and, you know, Spencer just threw it at his feet. Uh, but if he had just thrown the pass a little bit higher, it would have been an easy layup or a dunk for Josh Green. Um, and, of course, Josh Green had that pretty clutch three-pointer in the fourth quarter tonight. So, I mean, just an all-around great game from Josh. I mean, he continues to show why he's so important to the mass future. And a game like this, I feel like, has really got to tell the front office something that – it's time to really prioritize, um, you know, featuring him. Right. And I think the other day when we were on spaces, we were talking about that draft night and like what we got out of Josh Green, what we've gotten so far from the 18th overall pick, I would consider that a hit. Like I know we passed on Desmond Bain, but Desmond Bain should have gone higher than 18. He was looking back on if we're doing a redraft, he would probably go top 10 right now. Um, so yeah, I didn't like hearing that the other night about, it wasn't you, I don't know who it was, but about how that was like a failed pick. Like Josh Green was absolutely not a failed pick. Yeah, I mean, it, it took him some time to come around, but there's no doubt um, that he's he's a player. Like, I mean, I was just looking at a stat line after the game today. I mean, 15 points on 7 of 10 shooting. And I was just thinking back to, you know, 2020, 2021. Like, I could not have imagined him scoring that much. Like, if he scored, like, five points back then, that was a good thing. But it just goes to show you that some players take time to develop. It's unwise to try to box players in, um, you know, when they're 19 and 20 years old. And I know that it's difficult for us as fans to not do that because, like, especially when you're a fan of a team that's trying to win, like the Mavericks, um, that patience isn't always there. But in a lot of cases, that patience can be, uh, rewarded and in the case of Josh Green, he's absolutely re rewarding. You know, our faith in him, the coaching staff's faith in him, faith in him, the organization's faith in him. Um, and I think this is starting to turn into a huge win for the Mavericks because, as we've talked about for a while now, there's very few players like him on this roster, like young talent that actually fits the Luca timeline. Everyone else that's in the rotation is either close to 30 or past 30. So. This is a big one for them.
For sure, for sure. Uh, did you have any trade rumors that you wanted to touch on that you saw the last couple of days? Uh, I don't think anything much has come up since since we saw um, or since we last did a space. Like, I mean, I, I did see one one tweet today uh, about like, but about like, would be surprised if Christian Wood uh, remain on the Mavs beyond next Thursday. I mean, I the, the the source of that that tweet was I don't think is you know with all due respect to him I, I believe he's a reporter from Denmark. Um, with all due respect to him, I, I don't think he's like considered one of the bigger insiders in the league. But um, at the same time, like you know, from being from being in this uh, I guess in this business for some time, people do talk. So I'm sure he heard something from someone. Uh, I think it's no surprise that you know people are talking about Christian Wood just because of his situation with the extension. Um, you know, trade deadline is in, in a week. Uh, the Mavs technically have until June, I believe, to finalize an extension with Christian Wood. Uh, but at the same time, like, if he's not ex- accepting uh, their terms now, do you think he's going to ex- accept them, you know, four months from now or, or five months from now? I... I'm not sure. I mean, it may it may just be a case of his, um, you know, his camp valuing him at a certain price, and the Mavs valuing him at a certain price, and there's a gap that exists that probably can't be closed. But you know, I think as you mentioned in the last uh, spaces, the playoffs might also be a big factor in, in in what happens there too. But again, that is if he's on the team for the playoffs. Puzzle, what's up? Hey, what's up, guys? Um, I personally don't have a whole lot to say that I don't think has already been covered. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mostly caught just the second half, so you know, I caught the shitty part of the game. Um, I'm I'm just glad that we came out of this with a win because if not, I'd probably be too mad to be here. So, you know. <laughs> Sorry, just give me one second. Yeah, um, I mean, I, it, it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I think, like, you know, early this week we got a lot of rumors, like with Malik Beasley, um, you know, for Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, that kind of uh, framework was floated uh, in the media. Uh, we also heard some stuff about D'Angelo Russell, um, Boyan Bogdanovich has been a name the Mavs have been connected to for a while now. Um, that being said, the last few days, things have kind of calmed down with Mavs trade rumors. Um, and so I think, like, I've kind of been like, oh, maybe they won't do anything. But like I said, if, if you have to, if you had to ask me, I do think that they're going to make a trade. I do think they're kind of a wild card, too. Like, we have seen, we have seen a few small things here and there. Um, again, n- nothing from extremely re- reputable reporters, I mean, but still, you know, stuff here and there that the Mavs might actually be open to discussing Dorian Finney-Smith and trades. Um, I think their company line with that is like they would only trade him in a package for a larger or like for a star. Um, but at the same time, I think the Mavs, the fact that his name has surfaced in rumors, I think more than it has in recent years, kind of sh- indicates to me that the Mavs 
realize that he is one of their few positive assets and maybe it's time to try and see what you can get for him. Like, I still don't think they're going to trade him, but maybe they're trying to gauge the mark on him right now so that they can understand what to do um, this summer. But it will be interesting to see what happens with him. I think with Bullock is still a candidate to be traded. Like, if teams call about Dorian Finney-Smith and the Mavs say no, could the Mavs do a deal for Reggie Bullock instead? Because, like, like I said earlier, I think getting more minutes for Josh Green and putting him in the starting lineup seems to be a wise decision for them going forward. Because if he's playing this well without Luka, then just imagine how his game can develop when he's playing the majority of his minutes with Luka. I think Rohan's up here too. If he wants to say what's up, what's up, my my boyans? Um, I want to say quickly pause because the the name of this space made me pause. Um, Josh Green was great tonight. Hell yeah, Josh Green fan club, buddy. He was. Um, I, I I don't know how many more good things you can say about him, but actually, Josh Green is honestly like one of the the few things really like keeping me engaged with the Mavs right now. I mean, I think if I were to name the two things that are keeping you watching, it's obviously watching Luca, watching him see what he can do and, you know, further strengthen his MVP candidacy. And the second thing is Luca or sorry, is Josh green. Um, because to have to, to, to have like a young player with so much potential on the roster is just exciting. I mean, that's why I'm always locked in during the, the you know Jaden Hardy cameo every second quarter, um, and you know he's shown flashes, but I, I think he's still got some time that he needs to develop uh, before he can be in the rotation. But again, I, I think young players are good, and the Mavericks are fortunate to have two that you know have shown that they can be part of the core going forward. No, for sure. Um, we should talk about Luca getting hurt and kind of how it happened uh jay if you could explain that yeah so i mean i don't if you watch this game uh tonight it, it looked like luca had an extra pep in his step for whatever reason like he was running a lot harder than i've than we were used to seeing him i think he was playing defense harder like he had that charge drawn in the first quarter and was like very visibly fired up after that um so then in the third quarter um luca was driving to the basket I don't know if it was a fast break or not. I, I can't remember now. Um, but basically, he had a head of steam. Um, tried to go up for what looked like a dunk over Valanciunas. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think he had any shot of finishing that dunk because he, he jumped he had, way, way too far out. He had out. zero shot of dunking. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of honestly a, um, not a wise decision by Luca to try and do that because he was still too far out of the basket. Um to have a chance of finishing that, especially against like a huge player like Valanciunas, but he got a lot of he got a lot of lift on his jump. Um, you know, predictably collided in, into Valanciunas, um, and then fell kind of on his back and broke his fall with his uh, with his leg just coming down. And um, you know, after that, like he went to the locker room and later was announced that he missed the remainder of the game with a heel contusion. Um, Seeing the seeing heel on that injury definitely gave me a little scare. Like, hopefully, it's truly just a heel contusion. Um, knock on wood, because if it's anything, I don't want to say what it what else it could be. 
Um, but I think we all kind of know what what else. Don't it could say be. it. Yeah, I'm not going to say it, and I don't think it's that. But you know, anytime you see heel, you're a little bit nervous. Um, but that's the official injury designation right now. Um, I don't know if I explained it properly, but I'm sure you guys have seen clips of it on Twitter already. That's just a a wild, wild foul call. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, it was oh, not, it, was it a foul call? I don't know. Um, they that, reversed just, it and they reversed it, overturned it, and said no foul on that. If it matters. Well, they also should have overturned that. Uh, what it, was it? Dorian landing on Alvarado in the fourth. I don't know. I was oh yeah, the- yeah. no, that th- that was probably the worst foul call that I've ever seen. Like, literally, the Mavs had the ball and were running back on offense, and then the refs called the foul on Dorian. I mean, it it did look like a foul on him, but like you got to call that when it happens. You can't you can't do it like after the other team has the ball. You know, like that's just too late. You got to let it go at that point. I watched the 2006 final, so I'm not going to say it's the worst foul call I've ever seen. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe, maybe. true, true. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you can't really let those things affect you. And I, I don't know if it affected the Mavs. I think they were kind of already stuck in a rut there in the fourth quarter. Um, it's just it's just tough to watch them without Luca, um, especially when Dinwiddie is not hitting because. Dinwiddie is literally their only hope of scoring consistently outside of Luka. Um, I think but, Josh Green could turn into that. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like Josh Green could definitely be one of your tertiary scorers. I mean, this season especially, he's been very, very good in terms of control, body control, as he's, while he's attacking the basket. Um, Spence, I, I don't know, man. Sometimes he takes – I don't even know if it's sometimes. I feel like once a game in the second half, he always takes some – questionable heat check shot and the thing is he's usually not even in a heat check situation like he has been when Luca was out but he really does I mean he was really fond of that like just size up sidestep three-point jumper and I just I don't know it doesn't strike me as good fundamental basketball um and I do find myself yelling at the screen when that happens more often than not I mean, he got blocked on that today uh, in, in the fourth. Luckily, the Mavs won despite it. But poor shot selection, especially in in the second half of the fourth quarter, is just you, you can't you can't do that if you expect to be a winning team or if if you want to win games in the play-in or in the playoffs. That those are the types of plays that will lose you ball games like this. So you're saying four for nineteen from Spencer Dinwiddie won't cut it? I'm saying I don't even care about the numbers. I- Thing. he needs to stop taking these like random shots that like it makes sense if you're like if you're on fire but if I don't know I don't know some of it is gamesmanship I'm sure like I'm not thinking through everything but the fact that it happens basically every game and that more often than not that jumper just goes wide or clanks off the rim is like why why is he taking those shots why why is the coach accept letting him take those shots I don't understand yeah, I mean, I I just think like it's a, it's kind of a thing that NBA coaches do. It's like over over reliance and over trust on certain veterans. And in the case of the Mavs, like, you know, they really have two dependable scorers on their team um, that can actually drive to the basket. And so, whenever 
one is on the floor without the other, they got carte blanche. And obviously, Luca's got carte blanche anytime he's on the floor. But Dinwiddie in particular, when Luca's not on the floor, it's it's really his offense. Um, I want to see if anyone wants to come up right now because I know last time we took a we took a while to bring people up, and then it ended up going a long time. But uh, if anyone's interested in coming up and speaking, feel free to request. Um, I think the way we'll do this is we'll just bring up one person at a time because last time uh, we had multiple people and it got kind of out of hand. So um, if I haven't uh, brought you up yet, just uh, uh, hold on for a second. You, you'll get called up, but we'll open Shout the floor up to anyone. Lovely, by the way. Shout out to who? I said shout out to the Mindy Kaling profile pic. <laughs> All right, I don't, I don't know if we have anyone up here yet. I know we had Rajan a little while ago, but I'm not sure if he's in the space anymore. Apologies to him. Um, Step right up. In the yeah, meantime... Yeah, um, go ahead. My bad. In the meantime, did any of y'all see the comment that Kid had that he said that um, no matter what the margin of the game was, the score, that they weren't going to put Luca back in anyway. So, you know, even if it was a close oh, game okay. when he got injured, they weren't going to put him back in. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, I guess that answers my question. Like, I was wondering whether the score affected their decision um, to bring him back. But uh, based on how, based on the last injury, because I mean, this was a hard fall, but it didn't look particularly like, you know, gruesome of an injury, kind of like the ankle sprain in Phoenix did, but I guess the Mavs just did it out of an abundance of caution. Um, we got someone up on, uh, on stage, make trades or die trying. Um, we'll ask them to unmute. Hey, how you doing? Uh, this is also TGK TV. I do a lot of the pregame shows on, on YouTube, but I wanted to ask you guys, uh, with everything being considered as far as how this team has been playing when Luke is not on the court and knowing that he does have a heel contusion and seeing how long it could take the heel if it's like an actual bad one, do you think we end up becoming sellers in, in, in the idea of getting better moving forward and trying to get Luca on that, um, that same page? Or is there still some kind of way to improve this team with – with having players like Tim Hardaway Jr. going for what three for eighteen and and stuff like that, um, wanted to get your thoughts on that. That's a very good question, and I I, we, I meant to discuss that before. Um, I'll just quickly say one thing and let the other guys respond also. But um, yeah, I, I think this absolutely could determine what the Mavs do with the trade deadline. I have no doubt that they're looking at you know at moves that kind of are along the lines of being a seller, but they're kind of waiting to see how this next week might go before fully pulling the trigger on that, because that's a, that's a big move. I mean, if you sell off your veterans for future assets, you're essentially punting on this season. Um, but the, you know, the Mavs got a pretty big five game road trip coming up and depending on Luca's availability for that. I mean, if he, if he misses any games, I think those games are automatically else. And, you know, if you go on a five game losing streak or four game losing streak leading up to the trade deadline, you know, you're, this team will be under 500 um, in mid-February. That's a tough place to be. So um, I think it absolutely could. Yeah, and this next bit of the schedule is not easy. Um, yeah, personally, I think it's hard to say. Basically, just it depends on how long Luca's out. And obviously, we've only got, like, what, 
less than a week before the trade deadline. So it's kind of hard to gauge that. But um, I will say that um, recently Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors, came out and he said in an interview that um, he's been talking to GMs across the league and nobody knows what they want. No, nobody knows what they want to do because the entire league is kind of, um, you know, you don't have very many contenders and you don't have very many um, outright tanking teams at the moment. And, you know, we're more than halfway through the season and we still have a whole bunch of like middle of the pack teams. So it's hard to tell, like there's really like a whole lot of buyers out there, I think. And um, nobody really wants to sell. So it's tough because, you know, again, a five game winning or losing streak would put the Mavericks at like, you know, they could be the three seed or the 11 seed. So, um, yeah, it, it's tough. Like, you know, you probably think that you're going to get, um, if you're like on the team, you think that you're going to get the ship right and that things will be fine by the end of the season. So maybe like, but we also like the front office, you know, they're not, they got to make the best deals for, um, long-term future. So it's really tough. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not in Nico's shoes, to be honest, but um, it's I I can't in good faith give you an answer. Sorry, man. If you're asking me, obviously any player can go for the right price. That goes for anyone besides Luca. Um, but I don't think I would just – it's tough, but I don't think I would try to make the team worse for future draft assets. I would just I, – I just can't let this team if, – if Luca's not out long-term, I wouldn't – jeopardize you know if you go into playoff series with luca i feel like you have a chance against anyone especially in this west so for me it would be almost irresponsible to do it but that's just me yeah um it it, it's still it's still a distant possibility in my opinion but if the right deal comes up the mavs might have to look up uh look heavily at it but um appreciate you coming up i don't know if you had anything else to say no, I, I appreciate that, and uh, yeah. it, it would be kind of crazy knowing if we become sellers being what fifth or fourth seed that we are currently. So I've I never seen that before. So it is a particular situation that we're in. So, But th- thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, good talking to you. Good yeah, it it uh, definitely might be a soft seller situation here. Um, we got Abhishek um, looking to come up and speak, so just added him. What's up, Abhishek? Hey, man, can you hear me? <clears throat> I can Sweet, hear you. Man. How's it going? Um, doing well, man. How are you doing? Sweet. Good. Um, I, I know we were talking about trades earlier and, and the whole market. I also think, you know, this past offseason really screwed it all up with Rudy Gobert and everything, you know. Because um, I, I was reading a tweet earlier where last summer, the year before, you would get a superstar or very close to a superstar for three first-round picks. But you're about to get OG for like who only averages like, what, 17 points or something. So I think the market really has uh, messed that up. Or like Danny Ainge really screwed up that market. And my second thing I wanted to say was, or ask, do you think with Josh Green's evolution, do you think he'll become a volume shooter and potentially take over Tim's position like full-time? Those are, those are good questions. So to your first one, um, I think – I, I, I feel like the market has got to cool because, like, those two trades that Utah did last offseason were crazy in terms of the number of picks that they got back. Um, and it's and also just, like, with, with teams hoarding picks, like the Thunder, 
having as many picks as they do, the the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, like I think like some some a few number of teams control like a third of the picks in the in the NBA. So it's like that that just cannot continue anymore. Um, so I mean, if you had to ask me, I would say that the market is going to cool down. Will will that happen at this trade deadline? I'm not sure, but I I don't expect there to be any huge uh, exchange of draft picks at the trade deadline. Um, I think this summer will re- will really tell. Um, and then one more note on that too. Uh, what was I going to say? Ah, oh, shit, I forgot. Um, if I remember it, I'll say. But to your point about Josh Green, um, I think yeah, that's kind of the next the next evolution of his game has got to be um, increasing his volume. Like he gets a lot of good shots in games. He's got to just not hesitate and take them. To get to Tim's volume is a uh, might take some time because you know to shoot it like t- you know with the volume that Tim does is definitely. Um, unique but maybe one day he can but i think if you can get to something like dorian's volume or reggie's volume uh in the short term that would be great makes sense i guess i guess Jaden hardy would be that that guy considering to to be the volume kind of person because he's more of a shooter yeah yeah it's kind of his game y'all have any thoughts on that either of those things Um, I guess, you know, the the Hachimura trade, that might be a sign of where the price is for role players like that, because he got traded for, what, a pair of seconds in Kendrick Nunn, which isn't the biggest haul for sure. And, you know, there are several other things that go into that, because he's a restricted free agent, and he's probably going to be commanding, like, a decent amount of money in free agency, which, you know, the Lakers, with probably their tax bill and their also desire to get a real third superstar who's not Westbrook. Um, it definitely complicates some things there, but um, yeah, for sure. Like the trade market, I don't think that's going to get reset until maybe this uh, upcoming free agency period where I think that's where, you know, a bunch of the big blockbuster moves get made anyway with just, if you look at recent history um, and then to your point on Josh Green, um, I'm not sure if Josh is really that kind of guy, like Jay said, about, you know, somebody who's going to be a volume scorer like that. Um, we've seen other defensive 3 and D specialists kind of like, you know, excel in their roles, but the minute you try to give them more, um, more responsibilities, like say Mikhail Bridges, um, you don't necessarily get good results and, you know, so be it. Josh is doing great in his role right now. And yeah, he could definitely stand to take a few more shots, but, um, I'm not really too concerned as long as he's out there getting a lot of minutes and making a good impact. Um, we can definitely like volume scoring is and isn't easy to replace, but I do think there's a better fit out there. Like for instance, buddy healed. I don't know. I feel like he's acquirable and he would be, he would be doing so much better than Tim in the same role. So um, yeah, I mean, Josh could be, in theory, one of those guys. You got to see how he develops. He's a very young player, but um, there's there's definitely like a, a wide breadth of solutions out there. I'd say. And and I think I another think, thing is, oh, just one one I, thing quickly. Just quickly on Josh Green, yeah. I also think Josh just has some definite weaknesses. Where it may not even be weaknesses, but it's not like his strength. Um, it's just off the dribble. I, I don't think he can like really size a person up or like get his own shot like that, or at least he hasn't been shown that he can do that. But he is 
a good enough ball handler and he has enough body control to both be a, a solid finisher in transition, finisher through contact, uh, as well as a good playmaker. Um, and so a, a maybe, you know, if he really, really improves as a spot-up shooter to some level that, you know, we just don't expect something a la Dorian Finney-Smith, then perhaps. But I do see him relegated on offense to a tertiary role just by his skill set. Yeah, and and also like I think he's got a, a bit more of a unique game uh, than than Tim. Like he's actually got an off the dribble game, so I think honing that in tandem with actually taking more shots will be good. And I do think he's got to um, he's got to make his release quicker. Like right now, it's still kind of slow, but if he can get it faster, like that would open his game up. Like he can be a two point shooter now too. So uh, I think those are kind of the areas that I, I hope to see him develop. But you know, that's a good point by you. Uh, also, want to quickly uh, when Fazl was talking about the what it might take to get a role player, uh, using the Lakers trades as, as a barometer, I, I understand what, how you would do that, but it's important to remember that there's a lot of intangible benefits that the Lakers have when it comes to making a trade, and one of those is just media pressure. If you look at how the media talks about them come trade deadline, there's a lot more smoke screens. There's a lot more like testing the field and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just wouldn't necessarily use that as a barometer for the mess. But I, I do think it does. It shows that like teams are probably not going to be giving up, you know, a ton of picks for players that may not necessarily be difference makers. Like as good as Rui Hachimura is, you know, the Lakers knew that you know, the, the the Wizards didn't necessarily want to pay him. And, and, you know, at that point, like, it's difficult to really expect a team to, you know, or expect to get a ton of assets, like, if the if the secret's already out. Like, that's kind of the thing with the Raptors might be facing with OG Ananobi is that, um, you know, they could extract probably the maximum value for him now. Um, but if they wait until, like, the summer, for example, or next season, like, that's a contract year for him. Um, I think anytime you're trading expiring players um, that don't seem to have a future with your team, your leverage is automatically lower. Uh, so I think that we'll probably see a little bit more nuance. Like we won't see, I don't think we're going to see a trade like two first for Robert Covington. Um, and we definitely won't see like uh, a huge haul of picks being sent for a star player at this deadline, unless someone that we don't see right now becomes available. But that, that's about it. Um, you know, the, the Raptors have been telling teams that they're going to wait until the end of their road trip before they start um, deciding whether they're going to trade guys like Ananobi or Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet. Um, so I think once those conversations start happening, the trade market might pick up because teams that are vying for those guys will know where they stand and then will start to pivot to other deals depending on uh, how those discussions with the Raptors go. Very, very well stated and just to quickly put my opinion on the Raptors. I honestly think they're only going to trade Van Vliet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems like Ananobi is going to be moved, but just, uh, I don't know. That, that could all, all just be speculation. But there's been some rumors that he's unhappy in Toronto. Um, like we, Like I said, like, you know, he's coming up on a contract year next season, so... Uh, if that partnership is going down a, a bad path, then maybe it's time to start stripping it down and building around Scotty Barnes. But yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors are really like the biggest 
player in in this trade deadline, the Raptors and Jazz. Uh, we know the Jazz are probably going to make some trades. The Raptors, it's unclear, but the Raptors, if they start making trades, that has the potential to set off like um, bigger dominoes than we might be expecting, like today at at ten forty five, uh, a week before the trade deadline. All right. Abhishek, you got anything else? I don't know if we have anyone else interested in coming up. Oh, no, man. I, I mean, I, two quick things. I know I just want to say Josh Green was a massive leader. I, I watched that post postgame uh, with uh, uh, Skin, and, man, he, he took ownership for, a, for a, uh, the, the lead going down, and I was like, dude, you balled out. It's like Spence and Tim were throwing the game hard, but, but he, he was a leader in that, and I, and I really liked his growth. And um, hopefully the Mavs make a move, man. They need to. They need to get Lucas some help soon. Yeah, no, it was great to hear Josh Green uh, show some accountability uh, there in that post game interview, basically saying that it shouldn't have been that close, um, and they should have continued to play well even if Luca uh, sat. But yeah, appreciate you coming up, Abhishek. Always great yeah, talking man. to you. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, we got uh, we got Clayton requested. I'm gonna bring him up. What's up, Clayton? What's up, y'all? Just Josh Green, his maturity. I mean, I'm sure y'all have already touched on it, but I honestly feel like Josh Green might need to be inserted into the starting lineup in the next game. I mean, the dude, like the previous individual mentioned, the 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 amount of maturity that he showed in that post-game interview was... It was, I mean, for, uh, for, I mean, I almost, I don't even want to call him a kid no more because, I mean, you see how much it matters to some of these guys. And some of these guys just go out there and you can tell who wants it and who doesn't. And, I mean, we, y'all, y'all have been kind of pivoting toward the trade discussion and the game tonight. But, I mean, legit question for y'all. I mean, everybody Everybody earlier in the week was talking about Dorian and maybe his trade value. I mean, Josh Green, I mean, if there's a scenario out there, I mean, what does it take for you to move the dude? I mean, I'm coming to the realization that he may be, with, with, with all of our injuries and stuff that's going on right now, he may be our second or third most important player on this team just with the amount of effort that he gives on every possession I mean the dude was relentless tonight there in the fourth I mean there was one play at the top of the key where Spencer just hands him the ball and he shoots a three-pointer and hits it like his effort tonight was remarkable and but he was right though they should have never been in that position and the amount of humility that this guy has is just remarkable Uh, yeah, I, I would be pretty averse to trading Josh Green, uh, this season purely because this is the first season where he's kind of like had a breakout where he's been playable in a lot of senses, to be fair for wings who don't come into the league shooting scorching hot, like a Sadiq Bay or a Desmond Bain, uh, takes a little bit of time to develop that. But I think as per the conversations we've been having, not just in this space, but previously, we still don't know exactly what the what the ceiling of Josh Green's contributions for a, a 
for a competitive team is. And so because of that, I, I really don't think you can get what you deserve for him. Because um, I, I genuinely feel like he fits an archetype of the league from maybe 10 years ago, but has a lot of added skill on top of that. And you just don't know how far that can take you until you have other people around you. Um, I completely agree with what you're talking about in terms of he's maybe the second or third most impactful player on the team. I would say on on some nights, at least before he got injured uh, a little bit earlier, he was honestly the second best contributor behind Luca. Um, but honestly, I don't think you'd be selling high on him right now. I, I think it feels that way because we weren't really paying attention to him as much in previous seasons. A lot of people were kind of talking down on him, saying that he's just Justin Anderson. Uh, yeah, it, it's we need a little bit more time to not only for the Mavericks to gauge what his value is to the team internally, but also for other teams to see that what Josh Green does, he can do on a consistent basis. And the more teams have that realization, the higher his value goes. So really, you have nothing to gain from trading Josh Green at this point. I'm weirdly on the position where if Jaden Hardy was one of those guys where you were able to play him a decent amount, he was getting some good run in some of those minutes. He's a guy that I would be willing to trade at this point because I'm not sure how much higher his value gets than what his potential is or considered to be in the league right now. Hope that answers your question, though, Clayton. Appreciate it. I, th- I think Rowan said it best there. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to trade Josh Green unless like, you absolutely don't feel like he's part of your future, but I think the Mavs do feel like he's part of the future. Um, and unless it's in like a package for a star, like Rowan said, you're probably not getting fair value for him. One, because of his contract being on a rookie deal. And two, like his potential is still, I think, um, you don't know what it's going to be. So um, there's not like one veteran player that I could think that, that makes a trade work like that. So, yeah. I also, Fossil, think, you got anything? I also don't think you'd get assets back for him, considering what Fazl <clears throat> was talking about earlier, what Jay was talking about earlier, with how the trade market for role players is definitely kind of broken right now. Uh, I don't think you would get what you need if you were to trade him. Yeah, um, I don't really have much to add to what either of you guys have said. Um, you guys pretty much covered it, but I will say that I don't see this happening at all, but in the sense that, you know, I guess in a hypothetical, anything can happen. Um, I'd, I'd include Josh in a trade package for somebody like Pascal Siakam, but, you know, that's very unlikely to happen and pretty unrealistic to imagine. So um, realistically speaking, he, I, I don't want him to go anywhere. So yeah, that's, that's about all I've got. All right. Well, Clayton, thanks for coming up. Appreciate you joining. Um, we got a couple people in the queue. Uh, before I bring them up, just a couple notes that I saw on Twitter. I don't know if you all have seen them, but one was uh, the referee, or one of the referees in this game, um, gave a, you know, gave some comments to reporters after the game, and he said that. They missed a call uh, on two Pelicans plays there at the end. Like, if you remember Josh Green trying to inbound against Brandon Ingram. Um, they initially, Brandon Ingram deflected the inbounds, and they called it off of Brandon Ingram. 
out of bounds, but it turns out that Brandon Ingram was actually in bounds. Um, and instead of there being 3.4 seconds left on the clock, there should have been 4.9 seconds left on the clock after that play. So um, the Mavericks lucked out there because that really could have changed the game. Cause I think the Pelicans were only down by three at that point. And then the other note is that um, Jason Kidd talking about Luca injury he said we'll see how he feels tomorrow and have a better update to give you um jeff stotts who is a nba injuries expert mentioned that the average time lost in season for heel contusions is 1.8 games and the median time is one game so um that doesn't sound too severe thankfully uh but we'll see what happens um okay i'll bring up it's colby he's been waiting for some time so appreciate you being patient You there? Hello. Oh, what's up, man? Uh, how's it going? Um, so just a couple of things that uh, I've been kind of thinking about. So on the game tonight, Josh obviously uh, did amazing. Um, he did really good. I was amazed how he was like <laughs> – it's, it's actually hilarious, the fact that at the end of the game, we have to have someone – who is 6'5", and, like, we've got other guys out there, someone who is 6'5", who's deciding to guard um, Brandon Ingram, who's 6'10", and, like, everyone else is just afraid because he's just torching all of them. And so not only is he the only one who can score on the team whenever we don't have Luka, he's the only one who is out there scoring in that fourth quarter. Like, uh, like Dinwiddie, he was not even scoring. He was getting like bailed out on on foul calls, and that's how he was scoring. He was getting free throws. But Josh Green was like hitting shots. He was driving, and then he was having to guard Brandon Ingram, who is like seven inches taller than him. And so that was crazy to me. Um, I am so beyond excited to get Maxi back. We have needed Maxi so incredibly badly. Like it, it has been so terrible without him um and we are also getting back oh uh yeah christian wood Wood. Wood. we're also getting back christian wood and i still think that as far as on the christian wood front i think that they're kind of holding him off just kind of waiting and seeing for the trade deadline but at the end of the day unless someone offers them something like really really good i would just say they're gonna wait and then if not i don't know because i feel like you just need to sign him but but if he's not like accepting what they're offering i don't so can someone explain this to me so we can only offer so much right and then we just can't offer anything higher than that even if we wanted to yeah basically the the most that they can offer is like uh 18 million per year um I don't know what exact rule that is, but I think it's just based on like what salary he's current currently making. Um, and so I think that's pro- yeah, there's probably like a hundred and fifty percent increase or something like that. So and um, yeah, and so if he if we if we're offering him that, which I'm not, I don't, we have no way of knowing what they're offering. Which if I was the Mavericks, I would offer him that because I mean you're already you're paying like all these other guys like more than that if not around the same and he's obviously way way better he's younger he's good value um so i mean i would more than be happy with re-signing him to like a four-year 18 million dollar a year 
uh, contract. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. Um, especially since the fact that like we're like we're like oh we need to get like cap relief. That's not coming anytime soon. So you might as well just sign your good players and keep them. Or if not, if you're not going to do that, you need to trade. You need to trade them. You have to. Um, you got to trade them. Um, but you also have to look for something of value. Um, another thing, I just can't see. I I don't that Jaden has shown enough value for us to be able to trade him. Because what we're going to get back is not going to be worth the price of us just waiting and seeing on what he can become. Because I feel like he has to, I don't, I think that even if like he doesn't turn out to be like a Jordan Clarkson, like that's me lowballing him. That's just me saying like, like me lowballing is like, I would, I would love if he turned out to be like a Jordan Clarkson caliber player. I'm just only going to score 20 points a game and uh, kind of be average on defense. Um, that's going to be way more value where he's at right now. Like, like what do y'all see uh, him value-wise at right now? Like, I can see this is, like, the maximum I would see a team trading right now for Jaden. Like, just based on, like, draft compensation, I would say is, like, a lottery-protected first-round pick for Jaden in a second. Like, and that's not worth it to me as, as far as just, like, seeing what he turns out to be. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone is trading for Jaden Hardy, like, straight up. Yeah. I think the only scenario in which he's getting traded is if there's an opportunity to trade for, like, a, a star player. Like, he gets he probably gets put in that deal because he's a young player. But, I mean, you know, trading Jaden Hardy for assets right now is, is foolish, if you ask me. You just you got to wait and develop him first. Uh, I think that might have been slightly just uh, brought upon by what I was talking about in relation to the Josh Green question that Clayton brought up. What I was trying to say uh, was that Josh Green doesn't have the reputation of being this high potential guy that everyone around the league is kind of looking at and values at a certain level. Whereas Hardy was was uh, he he was in he was with the G League Ignite right like he has there's a lot of NBA footage uh, of him and teams have been paying attention to him for a while. So what I'm basically trying to say is that the consensus of other teams is they probably value him higher than they value Josh Green at a similar level uh, or at a similar progression in their careers. Um, so in that sense, I was just saying uh, I wouldn't like to trade Josh Green, but if you are looking to kind of flip a young guy for an asset, Jaden Hardy, if he was getting play would be one of those guys that you do want to gauge what you could get for him. Like Jay said, throwing him into a deal. Um, unfortunately though, obviously He's not really there yet. The Mavs haven't been playing him like that. So I don't expect that to happen at all. But he is one of those guys in general that I'm okay with selling on purely because I think he does have a determined value. But also, I think that there's a ceiling to his talent. And I don't necessarily know whether that fits with this team in the long run. That being said, if he's traded this year, it would be for probably less than you could get for him next year, assuming health and progression. To answer your question, yeah, I wouldn't trade Jaden Hardy either, and he just went 37th in the draft just now, so as much as we might like the flashes that he's shown, the rest of the league kind of showed you how they felt about him last summer, and he hasn't necessarily shown a lot in the NBA level. He has played a lot better at the G League level this year, but um, I would hold on to him and just kind of see where the value goes next year. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that's all good, good stuff, good stuff. Um, another thing that I want to talk about is, man, like I know that we're like we're upset about like Jalen Brunson and stuff, but I think personally that that is an atrocity that he did not make the All Star team this year. Like, absolutely r- robbed, and not particularly because I think that oh he had just had way better stats than some of the other guys that made it. I'm just saying that whenever you have two guys, right, and you're picking between them, you're like, oh, my gosh, they have really similar stats, similar impacts. You need to look at the fact, like, which player needs that, like, that, uh, which player needs that, like, recognition more. And, like, which player, like, because, like, I feel like that that should have a big deal to do with it. Like, when you're looking at a player like Drew Holiday and a player like Jalen Brunson, like, I think that, like, Drew Holiday does not need any recognition. Like, he is already that guy. Like, he's already won an NBA championship. He was, like, one of the best players on the NBA championship team. He's already got an all-star. He's already got, like, uh, like first-team all-defense. Like, we know what Drew Holiday is. I feel like I, – I really feel like Jalen Brunson deserved that recognition. And, like, I feel like they're not taking into account, like, the clutch stats that he's put up this season. And him being, like – and they're putting Randall as an all-star – Randall may have the counting stats of just getting stats throughout the game, but Jalen Brunson is their go-to guy. Like they, like they need, like that's even though if they're even though that sometimes they don't be going to him whenever they should be. Like he is like the best player on that team. I don't think it's particularly. I don't think it's really that close. To be fair, like he because he kind of lets the game come to him. He like. I really think that he deserved an all-star selection this year. Not you, you don't be hoping for injuries for anybody, but I hope that like something pops up where he gets put in as like a, as a replacement or whatever for someone who, if anything happens. But yeah, the all-star snubs were tough this year because I think both both conferences had a bunch of guys that most years would make it. Like De'Aaron Fox, I thought should have been an all-star this year. Yeah, that's um, another and, guy. I agree completely. Yeah, and then I mean James Harden didn't make the all-star game this year. Like. As much as we like to criticize James Harden or whatnot, like for me, I would probably put him ahead of Jalen Brunson. But I agree with you that I think Brunson and Harden should have been in over Drew Holiday this year. All right, cool. We got a couple more people waiting, so I'm going to bring them up. But appreciate you, Colby, for coming up. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming up. Um, all right. We got Johnny. He's been waiting for a second, so appreciate your patience. How's it going, Johnny? All right. Can you hear us? I can hear you. How y'all doing? Good. How about you? Um, I guess I'm. I'm not sure if I'm doing a mass fan in New York City, but um. What realistic trades can we make? I'm not expecting a superstar, but what realistic trades can we make? Can we make small deals to help the team? Like small assets? Or um, are they expecting to make something kind of big? Kobe, Kobe that, already answered. Oh. Like, um, I already asked questions that I was about to ask. But, um, yeah, I just need your opinion about that. So for this deadline, I would say it would definitely be towards the smaller deals. And, I mean, I think all 30 teams in the NBA right now could probably execute sort of smaller deals that can make your team better. It's just a matter of, you know, executing those deals. For the Mavericks specifically, they don't get 
all their draft picks until this summer. So I would expect if they're going to make a swing for a kind of a star, suitable second guy next to Luca, that that would be the time for that to happen. I just have one more question. How how is the atmosphere in in Dallas? Because I have friends from Dallas and Facebook, and it's almost incredible out there. And you know, I've never been in the West Coast. Uh, I don't know if Facebook is a good barometer for the culture, but uh, I don't know. I I'm no longer in Dallas, so I'll just let somebody who lives there answer. Yeah, I'll get off the mic. But I just wanted to know how's the atmosphere out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, it, it, it's no, cool. It's it. fine. It, I mean, uh, we're, I think at least I'm biased because uh, I'm from here, so it's it's home to me. I mean, it's it's, it's nice, but it ain't New York, so um, I don't know if you if you come here, you probably will find it a lot a lot more tame. I think it's it's good for families and stuff, but um, I, I think he was yeah. asking for Mavs fans, like what's yeah. the oh. what's the vibe? The, 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 the crazy thing, the crazy thing is that I got a Mavericks tattoo in my body and. Oh, when nice. Knicks fans yeah. see that in New York City, they're not approve of that. <laughs> hey, you are a brave man, John. Yo, I mean, I'm from Brooklyn, man. So, you know, I, I don't. I don't, like <laughs> I, Knicks. I don't like the Knicks. I don't like the Brooklyn Nets. We we live, we live I, I, out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the West Coast. <laughs> I think there's a lot more energy around the Mavs. Um, I think pretty much since Luca got drafted, a lot of people care more about them than they used yeah. to. Um, but obviously, like, I think there's also still a ton of anxiety because, you know, we all know how great Luca is and we want a team that, that does him justice. So yeah. I think that's kind of what now, it is. I've yeah. been a Mavs fan since 98, man. When when Dirk got traded from Milwaukee to the Mavs. And um, I've been a diehard fan since then. But um, as for Mavs film, um, Mavs, what is it, um, Moose and um, – Mavs Magic Draft and Nick Engston. I get all my information from you guys. Keep it up. I follow you guys. And I'm going to continue to follow you guys from news and information. Um, I'm a big fan of you guys from New York City. Much love, y'all. I appreciate, appreciate it, man. It means a lot. And yeah, shout out to Mavs Magic Draft as well, who's in here. Good friend of ours. As well as Mavs Muse. Yeah, Mavs Muse. All great accounts to follow. Um, but yeah, appreciate you, Johnny. Thanks for the kind words. Thanks for the questions. It's all, lo- it's all um, love, brother. It's all love. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. I'm sure we'll talk to you all soon. Right. All right. Okay, we got we got one more person here. We got Mark, um, who's requested. Just added him. What's up, Mark? Nice profile picture. Yeah. <laughs> are we? Are we? Are we on? We in? Yeah. All right, man. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I just had. One question, I guess, because I heard I was listening to your podcast the other day, and then I think I heard it mentioned um, that Siakam is a pretty unrealistic option earlier. And I guess my thought is for the trade deadline and the outlook of, for the future of this team, I think ideally whatever all-in move you can make, ideally it's for somebody that can play two sides of the ball. I mean, I – I think if you look at any star that's potentially available this summer, it's Levine or Beal or shoot. I don't even like know after that. Um, but I think ideally, you know, you'd want to, you'd want a, a above average defender if you can trade all your picks. But I guess my question is, I've heard Siaka mentioned as unrealistic and I'm curious, is that, are you saying that because you don't think that, 
they will move him or that you think that we would get outbid in any said uh, trade? Um, I can, I can go first real quick. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's like unrealistic. It's just like, it would probably take everything the Mavs had to get into the conversation. And yeah, like there's other teams out there that could outbid them for him. That being said, I wonder whether OG Ananobi is going to command more assets than Siakam will. Um, but, I mean, if, if the Mavericks were able to get Siakam, I mean, I think he's honestly the perfect uh, player to, like, pair with Luka, at least, like, in terms of guys that are available right now because he can play both sides of the ball. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think he's – I think he'd be the the uh, dream scenario. And, I mean, you wait till the offseason, you have four picks available. Um if I mean I don't want to trade Dorian Finney-Smith, but if you get Siakam with him, like yeah, it's a no-brainer. So like, if Doe's value is still like a middle first-round pick, like if he could still command that, then you you could tech, technically give uh, the Raptors five picks in value if you really wanted to go that route. But, uh, but yeah, no, I was just curious because I I think and then I guess the other thing was one of the things that I think kind of works in the Mavs favor is that Siakam is in the last deal year of his deal next year. So if, um, you know, if, if it comes to a bidding war, I mean, and he says, Hey, I, I really want to go to Dallas instead of these other places. I think, uh, I think you can get a little bit of leverage there. Yeah. I think that's really the Mavs best hope of landing. Like, you know, that type of player is like, that that player putting them on their on their list, but yeah, Pascal Siakam's the type of player where as soon as he's if he's made available for trade, like every team in the league would try to get him. I feel like, or most of the teams in the NBA would try to get. And like we talked about earlier, teams like the Grizzlies, Pelicans, uh, Thunder, like if they want a player, especially the Thunder, if they want a player, they can just go get it with the sheer amount of assets they have. So that's just tough for us to compete with because. We're literally trying to get to a point where we just have our own picks back as opposed to the Thunder and all these other teams have other teams' picks. Also, the Nuggets, who Vinay mentioned, have Bones Highland, who they can dangle for trade. Um, And they're significantly – they have significantly more to get from a win-now move right now. So it's more likely that they would outbid you, and also they can. Do the Nuggets have – I could have sworn I looked at this a couple of days ago, but do, do the Nuggets have, like, outside of, I know Bones Highlands has some value, but do they have a ton of picks? I think they they, they have some. I mean, I, I believe they traded one for Aaron Gordon. They traded um, two for him, I thought. Oh, they play, yeah, maybe the, you're right. I think they traded I think, one, I think one may have conveyed, but they also traded RJ Hampton. I got to go back and look. I mean, I, I don't think they have, like, Anything more than like a they they have more draft picks than the Mavericks have right now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, like they have and, more. Dra- that's the reason why I brought up Bones is because they have more draft picks as well as they have a young asset that's on their rookie contract that is just worth more than anything the Mavs could offer. Similarly, um, let's uh, let's see here. Oh, Mavs Magic Draft is telling me that uh, they're handicapped on picks because of Gordon. They they only traded one pick in that in that trade. It was the twenty twenty five pick. So yeah, I mean, I, I I guess that is technically 
And they probably have the same amount of picks as the Mavs do. Um, but yeah, the Bones Highland is obviously like a pretty good young player that they have. Uh, I, you know, Siakam is a guy that would be in extremely high demand, as as you guys said, like if you were to become available. He's he's probably one of the biggest snubs for the All-Star game this year, I think. He's like a 25-point-per-game scorer. He's having, having like the best season of his career right now. Um, so I was shocked to not see him make the All-Star team. Um, you know, I I do wonder sometimes, like, given the types of packages the Mavs would be competing with um, when it comes to the star market, I almost wonder if they might be better off just, like, splitting up their picks in separate transactions, if that's even possible, and getting, like, you know, two high-level starters as opposed to, like, trying to put everything into a package for a star player that just may not ever uh, be available because, you know, again, OKC's got picks for, like, years. Memphis has got in the same situation. New Orleans is in the same situation. So the the team that puts forth the best package is going to get the best player, and then the team that has the second-best package will get the second-best player and so on and so forth. So depending on where the Mavericks rank in that hierarchy, like, it may take – it may take like more than a year to even get in the conversation. And I don't know how long the Mavericks want to wait for that. I know I shouldn't mention these two words with the Dallas Mavericks franchise, but free agency is also an option. Uh, 2024, maybe where we also, that might 20, be 25 is the, is the big summer that they're looking towards. Okay. And I think Siakam is a free agent in 2024, if I'm not mistaken too. So you never know. That also might be, with this front office and Jason Kidd, that might be a better route for us to go through than, you know, trying to bid with the Knicks, Pelicans, uh, Thunder for stars like that. I mean, I can see that, but I don't I don't know why Pascal would have us higher in his priority list in free agency than he would have on the trade list. So I, get, I think Mark also preempted that a little bit, but yeah. <clears throat> All right, cool. Um, Mark, you got anything else? No, man. I think that's. I think that's that's it. Appreciate you uh, letting me come on. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it, man. Good talk. Fire profile picture again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know. I think we've been going on for a while. I'm. Last time we went on for three hours. I can't do that again today. Um, Not you have sick of hearing us talk, dude. <laughs> That's also true too. Don't want to. Don't want to bore people. At the same time, don't want to empty our chambers either. But y'all got any closing thoughts? Uh, it was good to watch the Mavs win. Uh, it's better than watching the Mavs lose. That's. This is why you come here for analysis. <laughs> Wins are better than losses. I would have thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we still haven't seen this team healthy in a while, and especially once Maxi gets back and we have a functional defense again, because annoyingly enough, our defense does entirely hinge upon Maxi, basically, even though we do have like capable guys like Dorian and Josh. Um, we still, I mean, you know, I think the pieces are there because again there's so much parity in the nba for the mavericks to make a significant playoff run um i'm just saying it would take a lot of the lucky breaks needed of course um and you know i'm not trying to like stare at what could have been if we kept jalen or whatever um but and i definitely don't expect us to like 
be winning the finals anytime soon with this roster. But um, I'm just saying, like, hopefully after the All-Star break, we're going to see a healthy team. And um, maybe, I think, roughly speaking, that's when we're getting past the tougher portion of our schedule. Like, most of these, uh, what is it, this upcoming seven-game stretch, I think that's, like, mostly before or entirely before the All-Star break. So, you know, once once all that is concluded and we have a healthy team for the rest of the way, um, it's po- it's very possible for the Mavs to make a run, I think. So as of right now, you know, there's all this, I'm not going to say unfounded pessimism about, like, us being a play-in team, but, um, I mean, a- as we spoke on the last podcast, it, it just really does all come down to health. So, um, you know, hopefully things go the right way with that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, the seven-game stretch beforehand looked tough, obviously, with the teams we're playing and the fact that we're going to be on the road so long. Um, And now we have to wait on if Luka's going to miss any games in the seven-game stretch. And the seven-game stretch, I haven't looked at the whole schedule, but I believe it is the toughest stretch left in the season, Um, particularly the back-to-back right after the All-Star break versus Sacramento twice, which is hilarious to say that two Kings games are a challenge, but that's what they are right now because they're a legit team this year. Yeah, and I mean, even March is not a, you know, a cakewalk for the Mavs either. I mean, they got that stretch where they played the Grizzlies three times in nine days. So, um, yeah, again, I think uh, most people agree that, like, this February stretch is really going to define the rest of the season for the Mavericks. Um, If they can come out of it with their head above water, I think they'll be in good position to uh, avoid the plan. Um, But, you know, if they are in that play-in range or, God forbid, out of the play-in, then I think uh, we got to start thinking about other priorities. But, um, yeah, you know, again, every win the Mavs get is a step in the right direction for them, a step uh, a step outside of the playing um, range and into the top six. So, I mean, it, it was an ugly win tonight after Luca went down. But, you know, at this point of the season, you can you'll take them any way you can get them. And so, uh, yeah, just got to wait until Saturday. Uh, that's a big matchup, and hopefully Luca is healthy for that because you know Luca versus Steph on ABC Saturday night. That's like a prime time marquee matchup. It would suck to play that game without Luca. So um, excited for that one! Um, thanks everyone for tuning in to the Spaces. It's been another episode of Mavs Film Room Spaces. Um, I'm going to find a way to try and post these on our podcasting feed. I'm not sure how to do it yet, but I'll try and figure it out. Um, Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you stream your podcast. Um, We're doing a giveaway right now for our Twitter account. So we're trying to get to 10,000 followers by the trade deadline next Thursday. And if we can do that, we're going to be giving away uh, three Luca jerseys um, to three people um, of their choice. So um, all you got to do is retweet the tweet, follow us, and then tag someone in the replies or in the quote tweets. Um, have that tweet pinned on our profile. So go and retweet that and, you know, tag a friend if you haven't already for your chance to win a Luca jersey. And thanks for everyone's support. We'll see you guys soon. To clarify, that's a Luca jersey of your choice. Yeah, so it could be any one of the designs. Including the Graffiti City jersey or no? I mean, <laughs> if you could get your hands on that, I might save that one for myself. i still want a bertans jersey guys hey your birthday's coming up i know what to get you
hey, your birthday is coming up too, buddy. All right. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see you all later. Peace.